0: Welcome to another new episode of Queering Daisy. I'm your host, Priya. This week, I have the pleasure of talking to Durga Gauri, an artist and activist based in India. Along with being an amazing artist and sculptor, they were recently featured on Vice India, talking about what it's like to be a gender fluid person. So on this episode, we chat about their journey, including coming out as gender fluid, and what it's like to be India's first drag king. So without much further ado, here's Durga.
1: Hi Priya. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm just in Delhi at the moment. Oh, nice. So I'm uh, touring. the. I mean, I'm doing a three-city tour. Oh, wow. Um, as Yeah, I'm actually uh, performing, started to perform as a drag king. That's amazing. Uh, so uh, first one in india that's like that's to go thing. on tour and stuff like there are drag queens here but not really that many kings and if there are they're not in the drag circuit they're more like in the theater sort of space you
0: know oh, yeah yeah
1: yeah it's a rare thing even yeah, here so... too
0: that like i don't often see i'm sure there are but i don't often see them Um, But thank you for doing this. So I saw you featured on Vice India and I must say like my partner also saw the video and she was like, Durga is amazing. You have to have them on your podcast. (laughs) And so now she's like fangirling over the fact that I'm going to talk to you because she like everything that you were in that video was so not only for us like here seeing it from India, like for us, it was just nice to like have someone that talks about stuff like that, that, you know, honestly, people don't talk about. So yeah, it was just a great episode, and I know there's so much more to what you do, and so I really wanted to to talk to you.
1: That's so sweet. Thank you so much. That means a lot.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean the 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 biggest thing that I felt when I saw the Vice feature was not only like representation at Mumbai Pride, like a very, uh, you know, high profile event, but some of the things that you answered and talked about in that um, were super important, and even just in the Indian community, in the South Asian community. We don't talk about gender fluidity. And so can you talk a little bit about what that means to you and how you kind of came about to that to that label? And I know you sound, you know, you sound like someone that's very much like labels can't really fit me. I'm a human. Um, and and correct me if I'm wrong with that, but I, I'm curious as to how um I'll explain a little bit, too. Like, I feel like as as an Indian person myself, I never had the language for my identity until much later in life. And so um, I'm curious, just, you know, what does gender fluidity mean to you and how did your journey with that come about?
1: So I first started noticing uh, myself looking at the mirror a lot mm-hmm. and looking at it differently. Like, everyone would, like, do their hair or, you know, like up their, you know, shirt or something like yeah. that, button up something or, you know, make sure their shirt is fine. Or It was very exterior. Mm. You know, like the way someone looked in a mirror. And the first memory that I have of, like, looking really deep into a mirror was when I was uh, four years old. Mm. And I would, like, I mean, since then, I've always just, like, stood in front of a mirror and just stared at it like, look, trying to look past it or something, like, mm. almost inside me. Mm-hmm. And As a child, it was all right. It wasn't, you know, that, uh, it wouldn't bother me that much because, you know, my body hadn't started to evolve into a woman's body, into a female body or anything. So Mm -hmm. I was just this kid, you know, was this funny active kid running around everywhere and like being really sporty and stuff like that. And honestly, at that age, you don't really think much of it. Um, But I mean, I always had this sense that like, You know, I I always, I was a little more boyish than most girls around me. Mm -hmm. I didn't really like to play with other girls around. I didn't like to play with dolls that much. Like I really like to ride bikes and I like to jump around in the dirt and get really dirty and like wrestle and Mm -hmm. skate and play basketball and stuff. And, you know, and I would always just be playing with the boys since I was a little kid. Mm. And then as puberty hits, suddenly all of these, like I was, I I hit puberty very young. I think I was about 11 or something. Mm. And uh, as soon as I was like 12 or 13 years old, like I was transformed into this like really feminine, beautiful woman. Mm. Like I had the appearance of a woman, not of a girl, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was very difficult for me because I started to obviously observe how people started to treat me differently, but not just... Treat me differently. They expected me to behave differently. Mm. Like suddenly I was supposed to sit like a certain way. Suddenly I was supposed to dress a certain way. And and living in India. And you know. My parents are still very open minded people. And you know. They are artists. So we are all artists. And you know. Involved in the arts in some way or the other. Mm. So it wasn't like. We always had the taste for like good design. And always were very very particular. About what we wore. And how he presented us. So, I mean, that is, regardless of the fluidity aspect of it, it was very important for us to, I mean, it was just something inculcated in me as a child. Like, I would always, they would never just go and buy me clothes, unless it was like if they were traveling or something. They Mm. would always go and like, take me with them and say, okay, Durga, what do you like? What do you want to wear? Mm. You know, and I would as a kid I remember I never liked wearing dresses or frocks and things anything frilly would just piss me off <laughs> you know anything open you know with my legs like if my legs were bare I would just feel really uncomfortable it was like I'm not wearing pants and it would make me <laughs> feel really funny yeah and just awkward in my body so I never wore those things and you know my mom would like sometimes say these comments. She'd be like, "Oh, the clothes I pick out for you, like you know, you don't really want to wear them."
0: Mm.
1: And I would just be like, "I don't know. I don't like these puffy shoulders, and I don't like this frills, and I don't, and this the fabric feels itchy or something, at yeah. makeup or something." And uh, but you know, as I after puberty, it was very different. Like you know, only when I was playing sports I was I wearing like you know these sporty kind of clothes and stuff. Mm. And still in school, like I had that even though I started to grow my hair longer and stuff like that, I had this um, very, uh, I'm an athlete, I used to be an athlete. So, you know, I was really into sports and I guess that was at that point Hmm. a way for my like sort of masculine side to come out without me fully realizing it. Right. And then eventually, I mean, I realized that there was a problem, I guess, when I was around like, you know, when I started becoming more sexually active, Mm. like, there was something about, like, being with a man, like, I'm a pansexual person. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the gender or the sexual orientation of the person or anything that makes a difference in the attraction that I feel for them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, me always playing this really submissive role in uh, a sexual act was not something that I was... Sometimes I'd be feeling really great about it. But sometimes I'd just be like, I don't really want to do this, you know. And of course, like sex and sexuality is different from your gender identity. But my gender identity does play a role in it. Mm. In a sense of how I behave, not how I like, not for any other reason, not about like what I'm attracted to. It's more about like how I behave and how my behavior changes when I have a switch, you know, right. And um, I then eventually like I started going through a lot of like depressive phases and just like really uncomfortable all the time and feeling really unsafe all the time and people would constantly come and tell me oh my god like you're so beautiful, Mm. such lovely hair. You know, you have such a great body, and I would just be like, I don't understand this. And for a long time, I just thought that it was something normal, like not normal, but something that all the all all girls go through is like mm-hmm. awkwardness in their bodies or like, you know, stuff like that. And I never really like. Of course, I would feel really uh, it's uncomfortable to get my period, mm-hmm. but um, sometimes, like very naturally, my body like. Without actually being polycystic. Like I don't have polycystic ovaries or anything. Mm -hmm. I do have a tendency. I got myself checked. I do have a tendency for that. But my hormones fluctuate very naturally. So some months I don't get my period. Mm -hmm. And some months I do. And it's, it's like something that's been always the case since the time I got it. Yeah. And... Actually, now, I mean, I wish there was more research on this, but I really have a feeling that, you know, on months that I'm feeling more male, I don't really like my body doesn't want to do that or something Mm. doesn't want to bleed. And I don't know if there is like, I don't know if other fluid people will agree because I have spoken to some of them and they were just like, don't know, my body just bleeds every month. It's got nothing to do with (laughs) my gender identity or anything. But for me, like, I just feel that, you know, it's listening to me. Right. And it's saying something to me. And when I was, I think, 21, I cut off my hair. Like, it was really long. It was, like, down to my thighs. Mm-hmm. And um, I cut it off because I was... By this time, I was in the US. I was studying at uh, Rhode Island School of Design. And mm-hmm. I was a sculpture major. So, I used to do a lot of welding and stuff. And, you know, the long hair was a problem. Like, a genuine health hazard in the shop. Mm-hmm. And so I cut it off and I remember that feeling the minute I cut it off, it was like I was looking in the mirror and I was like, oh, my God, I recognize myself again after so many years. And if you put a picture of me from when I was 10 years old, and if you put a picture of me now, you can tell that it's the same person. Mm. But if you put a picture of me from when I was 21, like next to it with my long hair, 2021, totally different human being, Mm. you know, and... It it really is, like, feels like that. Like, now, even now, like, if my hair grows out even a little bit, I start feeling more and more, like, you know, the dysphoria really, you know, is very evident. Like, I feel very uncomfortable. And the way I'm perceived is very... Uh, It's not how I want to be perceived or it's not who I am, you know, the way people see
0: me. Talk a little bit about that, because I imagine with this happens for me, I identify as gender nonconforming, which I identify as a woman, but I present masculine. And so I have short hair, I wear men's clothes and I often get misgendered. And, you know, how you cope with that, I guess, in in a social instance is different, especially when you talk about India versus here. So I wonder how you face that in terms of people's perception and how that's kind of impacted your journey and ongoing journey of like accepting this fluid. Yeah, so
1: so I only came out last year mm-hmm. in May. It's only been a year. Like, I mean, of course, I would talk to my friends about it vaguely, but I'd never use a label on mm-hmm. it. You know, I never put a word on it. And I would say that, you know, like I used to think for a long time I was bisexual. Mm. But somehow, like, I knew that, that that just it wasn't encompassing everything for me. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I actually heard a podcast on NPR uh, in a channel called Invisibilia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think second episode was called The Power of Categories. Mm-hmm. And they talk about how, like... Uh, And this is when, so now I'm talking to you about like after college, like when I was in college, I was around people who were like lots of different gender identities, sexual identities. And the thing was, my gender was not an issue at all Mm -hmm. for anybody around. So I didn't care about, I didn't think so much about my own gender, Right. you know. And I was just experimenting and I was just trying things out and I was working a lot. And I had a lot of things to worry about other than like I had to work three jobs. I had to finish my education. It was a really difficult program. I uh, One of my best friends was going through cancer. Like, you know, I had lots of other stuff going on that, you know, I didn't end up society around me, like not America, but just RISD, you know, people were just very nonchalant about people's identities and stuff. You were just, you know, they just didn't care. So I also didn't have the awareness to or like the sense to think about it at that point as deeply. Mm. But when I moved back to India, I heard this podcast. And the minute I moved back to India, suddenly it was like, hey, 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 what the hell are you doing? Why are you wearing these clothes? Like, wear something longer or like, you know, cover up and you can't walk around like this and you know, why is why your hair why is your hair like this? Or whatever. You know, like I would get these uh, comments maybe sometimes at home, sometimes with my friends, mm. you know, why are you sitting like this? Why are you, you know, come on, like cross your legs and sit, mm-hmm. you know? Why are you walking like this? And I'm just like, I don't understand what you mean by you walking like that. I'm just walking like me. you know. <laughs> no, right. So it, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't unless I was with respect to this culture that I had to really confront my identity. Now I came back to India in 2015. So when I heard that podcast, I basically, they were talking about how, you know, everybody's brain you know, it, it works better if you, like, put things in categories. Like, our brain is uh, categorizes things naturally. So if you give it a word, if you give it a label, you know, it can go and sit inside a box in your brain. And then you learn to accept it better. But when there's no term for it, your mind is kind of like, oh, my God, what the hell is this unknown thing, mm-hmm. you know? Reject it instantly. Mm. And, and that made so much sense to me. And at the same time, on that podcast... They actually had someone, um, they spoke to someone who uh, had a gender-fluid identity, who lived like a man, as a man for 30 years, served in the U.S. Army and everything, Mm. met the love of his life, got married to this girl. And then he started having these switches, you know, like, Mm. sorry, they started having these switches, like where they would be, uh, you know, male sometimes, female sometimes. And on the podcast itself, you can hear the switch happen mm. and that was such a amazing thing for me to have for me to like see because in college sure people talked about fluidity people you know talked about being transgender like I had transgender friends you mm. know I, I, I was around a lot of these people but like the minute I heard that podcast I was just like oh my god that is so me Hmm. And this is starting to make a little bit more sense now. So I actually started researching and reading up more and stuff like that. And um, I actually started uh, dating someone who, this guy, who basically wanted to... Wanted me to have this very Indian female role in the relationship, and I was just not having it. Mm. And I, and that actually played a very important role in me understanding what I don't want and what I'm, what I'm not. Right. You know, I'm really just not that. I'm not made for that. I tried for so many years to like be something that I'm not, and I was just finally like, you know, I am just gonna like be with someone who doesn't want me to be something else. Mm -hmm. So soon after that, I met someone who I dated for a short period of time, but he actually was with me while I was coming out to my family and my friends and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, during that phase, which was last year, I sort of realized that, you know, gender fluidity is, is... Uh, For me, it's about like, of course, for me, it's just me. But the way I could explain it to people is that now there is if you draw a straight line, okay, Mm -hmm. one side of the line is like full feminine energy. And on the other side, if it's full masculine energy, Mm -hmm. my every day when I wake up, I could be I I could be standing on any point of that line, Mm. you know, it could be anywhere, so some, or it could be none of it also. Hmm. So there could be a blank space in the middle where I'm standing some days, where I'm just not identifying with any of it, you know. Right. And, uh, And what I realized was that, you know, in India, we actually have the concept of gender fluidity for generations together. Because in Hindu mythology... Ardha which is a deity, which is a form of Shiva, is half man, half woman. Mm. You know, the even the representation is physically half man, half woman. Now, because the way my father always explained it to me was that, you know, we have all these gods and goddesses in all these drawings and all these, you know, representations. Because it's easier for us as human beings to have an image to associate with when you just talk very abstractly about like everything just being one energy, which in Hinduism we talk about it, like everything is one energy, everything yeah. is one flow, everything is connected, but it can take many different forms, you know, that made a lot of sense to me. I don't, I, I mean, I, I'm not religious and I don't uh, call myself a Hindu. I was raised a Hindu, mm-hmm. in a Hindu family, but I don't really call myself a Hindu because I, I think I'm more spiritual, I'm a more spiritual person mm-hmm. and you know, sort of following my spirituality, I figured out that like honestly everybody I think everybody has, you know, male and feminine male energies and female feminine energies and some are more than the others. And in most people they kind of like uh or have internalized one aspect of it and they kind of stick to it also and sometimes they just like that, you know, like they're just not very feminine. They're mm-hmm. just not very masculine. But for me, I was both, you know, and I was neither at the same time.
0: So what, and... was, your, what was your experience like telling people about this? Not only like how you explained it, but b- because of the like the mythology that you're saying and, and there's still such a hesitation and such a taboo about talking about gender and sexuality. So what what was that like for you? And why do you think that that is so difficult for our culture to grasp despite these like generational, you know, mythological foundations?
1: The thing is that in India, uh, people, you know, they always keep saying, Oh, I'm so religious. I'm so religious. I'm so religious. But what is really in your scriptures? Do you know what is written? Mm. You know, in any scriptures, I feel like a lot of it is just like herd mentality. You know, Mm. it's like I am born in this. I am told I am this. I am supposed to follow these certain rules and that is how i'm supposed to live and if i do that i will go to heaven or i will go to hell and i'm a good person or i'm a bad person mm. so it's usually everything is in, still in the binaries like this is correct and this is wrong right you should do this and you shouldn't do this right mm. and so when i explain to people i just say that you know what like i am who i am and i will be true to my nature and my nature is that i have a female body and i'm blessed with the power of for the or the ability to give birth you know mm-hmm. and i'm very glad to have that but at the same time i am very masculine when i on on in certain instances and at that point like i don't i mean i, I mean at any point i am always gender fluid no matter what i am feeling like in the moment i am always gender fluid mm-hmm. so rather than you know, putting this gender on me. Once you put a gender on somebody, it's like you're expecting them to follow those gender roles which society has, you know, sort of created. Now, if you look at, like, you know, primates and things like that, like, or even if you go into Native American culture, mm-hmm. they talk about five genders. They don't talk about two. They talk about masculine male, uh, feminine male, masculine female, and feminine female. And, and then they talk about two-spirited people. Right who have both of them in in one body Mm. you know and um, I really identified with that also so when I explain to people or when I talk about it every day now after I came out I talk about it literally like every single day multiple times to everybody I meet like everyone has questions everyone is constantly asking questions and and sometimes it's overwhelming and sometimes I just don't want to get out of the house because I'm just like I don't want to answer anyone's questions Mm. But it makes me happy because the point is that people want to understand, they want to know, they have questions, they're asking me, you know. There are a lot of people who just dismiss it straight up Mm. and a lot of people just say, listen, Mm. don't try to make your life more difficult, just stick to what you've been given. You're born a woman, just like be a woman, don't try to be a man and all, you're not a man. Mm. And uh, some people are straight up like, oh, you have a vagina, you're a woman. (laughs) You don't have a penis, you're not a man. Mm. And, you know, like, it can feel very, like, I'm being attacked by it. But it's honestly, it's ignorance. And I always say this, that it's the uh, fear of the unknown that everybody has as a human being. I Mm. think that, like, you're not going, if there is a deep, dark pit, you know, endless pit, you're not going to just jump into it thinking that you're going to be teleported into a new world that's more beautiful. Mm. That's not your first thought. The first thought is just like, oh man, I don't know what the hell that is, I'm not going there. Yeah. And yeah, and I think that's the same logic that is that sort of makes people uh you know, averse to the idea of fluidity or averse to anything other than binary gender roles. So what do you and think, India's,
0: yeah, sorry, what do you think, like, how, how do you, can you change that? Is it, is it because by talking about it, is there hope? Do you have a hope that like by talking about it, by being visible and not just you, I mean, the burden is not on you, but just the community, like, do you see hope for that changing and how do you think that can change?
1: Yeah, I think one of the really awesome things about today's world is the anonymity on the internet Mm. That you can just put in information out there without revealing who you are. And of course, there are pros and cons to that because you get lots of trolls and you get <laughs> flagged and you get blocked and all of that stuff. But at the same time, like people do see things and, and in numbers that you can't expect, like the Vice video, it was like a 20 minute you know, question-answer session they did with me before my campaign while I'm telling them, like, I have to run my campaign. I got to go, I got to go. And they asked me these 20 questions. And I answered them. And I had no idea this was going to go viral. But it went, and it went to all parts of the world. And, like, I had people from Iceland messaging me. I never thought I'd speak to a person from Iceland, you know. (laughs) so random. And then I have you, like... You know, texting yeah. me, well, like I had so many people reaching out and so many gender fluid people actually reached out to me. And I was just so happy by the outreach that one can have in today's time. Mm. And I think that is very important that whether you put your name on it or no, you know, if you speak your truth in some way, it's going to have a ripple effect in the world. Like people are going to hear you whether you realize they are hearing, hearing you or not mm. they are going to feel something and i also think that you know education plays a huge role and not just educating children but educating parents i'm actually uh, i have this a few goals in my life you know i i am working like after i came out I, my art also completely changed and it's all like now moving more and more towards gender and identity and mm. stuff like that but not in a like, oh, my God, the world is such a cruel place that, you know, they make it a hell for people like me. Like, mm-hmm. that's not my thing at all. I'm not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. I'm a very, like, positive human being, usually, you know. I, I, I mean, when I'm not feeling depressed, I'm usually very positive. I'm usually very, you know, I like spread, spreading cheer and I feel like I'm a very pleasant person. So, I the way I think about it is that do I want to spread negativity in the world? Whether I'm talking about my heartache, the way I talk about it matters the most to me, you know? So mm. the way I try to talk about it is in a very heartfelt and a very honest way. But at the same time, I always say this is my truth and at the end of the day, we're all human first. Mm. Um, and I think that like, one of the things I want to do for India is just like be myself here. It makes such a huge difference. Yeah. Just me dressing the way I dress, the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I cut my hair. Even without talking to people, just walking down the street is like, I feel like is a, is activism. Here. Yeah. The other day I took a train and half the train compartment like started talking about whether I was a girl or a boy. Mm-hmm. And started asking me questions. Like it, was, it felt really threatening, but the fact that... They, they had that conversation. Mm. Like, they had that question, like, are you a girl or a boy? I don't really understand if you're a girl or a boy. I was like, great, that's perfect. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I want to TV. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, you know, but, of course, you know, it, it like, they were very uh, threatening and very aggressive towards me. So, I just left and I changed my compartment. But, I, I mean, the thing is that things are happening. Just in one year, just because I had the will to... Sort of talk about this, come out about this as openly as I can and reach out to people like me and say that, you know what, like you're not alone. Like there are more people like you. It's not just like gay men and lesbians and bisexuals and transgender people out there. Like there are other kinds of queer people. There are other kinds of, you know, identities and all of them are valid. And so I started talking about that. And that's been making a huge difference uh, in India for sure. And not at the scale that I want it to be. I want it to be at a really, really large scale. And I want everyone to know like there are different kinds of people. And I, I mean, that's my dream, right? And I'm not going to dream small. My main thing is education, so I'm mm. also an educator. I was teaching at RISD as I was a teaching assistant at RISD. I would always volunteer in schools whenever I came back to India when I was mm. a student and then, after college, I started teaching at a design college here in Bombay mm. in in India, and I realized like the I realized while I was teaching that I can't be someone who's in one classroom. I have to create a system, I have to create an education system. Because I have the capacity to do it and the drive to do it. And the Indian education system is really messed up. And so is most education systems in the world. But after being in a space like RISD, I realized, you know, that there are so many different ways people learn. Mm. And I want to tap into that. So I'm actually going deeper and deeper into gender. And I think we can only improve society if we break gender roles completely. Like if gender is not a thing at all, like if gender is not what governs your place in society, then what is it? It's your brain. Yeah. It's what you think, right? And wh- how you behave, what you act on. And that's what I want to do through education. So mm. I am going to do a master's and then a PhD in gender studies. Uh, and I want to come back to India. I, mean, I, I want to study abroad more, you know, my master's and PhD. And then maybe in 10 years, when I come back to India, I want to start a university and have, which has a new education system. Um, which sort of like is based in learning through making, but it, it's like dissects, you know, socio-political situations for every student that's in there and, and it talks about, you know, humanitarian things and, you know, sort of like also has a base in like agriculture and people are sort of, you know, cooking their own food, growing their own food. Everyone has a place, like role to play in the functioning of the university. Yeah. Um, so everyone has run it. Everyone has, you know, studies what their interests are. And it's a very like sort of abstract thought at the moment. And I've been sort of researching on this for a while now, for like almost six years now. And um, yeah, but that's my main thing. I think the most important thing is education. If you have your education's right if you train the teachers to be good teachers and not just people who you know are doing this because they couldn't do any other job and whatever their degree was they just want to go and like teach it to other people who want the same degree because that's what happens in india most of the times mm. so I mean there are all of these different sort of things and I'm also getting more and more into like modeling and stuff like that because I want people to see that there are different kinds of beautiful people in the world you know mm. and not just you know the type that they have told us
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> about definitely I. definitely I mean speaking <laughs> of modeling I mean tell us a little bit about the drag king things that you're doing because that's <laughs> that's a novel thing and it's new but it's also super important for visibility and for the community so talk about how you kind of fell into that and and what it's been like for you so far so
1: honestly like i when i was at RISD, I was a total nerd i didn't really go to any like drag shows i wanted to went to like one gay club in my time in america my whole time in America. You missed out. I, That's like a great. <laughs> it's okay. I didn't. I'm coming back. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I'm coming back. And no, but I was so I was I was working almost twenty hours a day every day for three and a half years. So I really didn't have the time or any energy. Like I, I it was very important for me to spend time with my friends. Very important for me to cook, clean go to my jobs, go to school, go to studio, you know, do all of those things. And... But at the same time, like, when I um, sort of came back to India, I started, like, I don't know, really thinking about all of these different types of people. And I'd see the way, you know, hijras are treated in, uh, in society here, like transgender people here. And it would really hurt me because... Some of my really dear friends in college were transgender and I've seen them going through transition and I know how gut wrenchingly difficult it is to see one's body change again like it's like you're going to through puberty a second time and this time it's you know like this time it's like when you're an adult while you're expected to be an adult you're going through puberty again. And I feel like that right now after I came out, you know, because I'm sort of rediscovering so many aspects of things that I should have experienced in my puberty. And if I had experienced it in my puberty, then, like, I would be a totally different person right now in the way I dealt with the dysphoria. But uh, the drag thing started because I watched RuPaul's Drag Race and I was obsessed and I started binge-watching it. And I just... I mean, in the entertainment and in the fun and in the glam and in the glitz and everything, there are such important messages of like, we're all human, just let us be, you know. Everybody has a right over their body and Mm. it's nobody else who can tell you what to do with it. That is the only thing that is truly yours in Mm. this world. Everything else is like, it's property, it's like stuff that is external, Mm-hmm. And you can never own people, like, people are their own people, like, they, they belong to themselves, like, you know, you're not even answerable really to anyone except for your family because they raised you or whatever, but they are still not the ones take, governing your body. Right. You are governing your own body. And I felt very strongly about these things from the beginning, you know, since I was a kid. So basically, um, yeah, once I started watching Google's Drag Race, I was just really, really inspired by these amazing men who just kind of like put themselves out there and uh, talk so honestly about, you know, their lives and, um, and actually put themselves out there for the world to see. And, you know, no matter what happened to them in the show or whatever, like they, most of them like, you know, are still doing the same sort of work they're standing up for the things they believe in and stuff like that and it really uh made me see how it inspired other people and and I have a lot of friends who also watch that show but um, it's not really about the show it's about like what it made me think about which was the fact that drag is uh, a way of you know activism that is really that involves, of course, keeping things really entertaining and fun and stuff like that. But at the same time, it requires so much like understanding of like form and sculpture and performance and stuff like that. So I once I started experimenting with, you know, um, just you know, painting my face to allow myself to express how I feel on a particular day. Um, A few months later, I went to a drag show here in Bombay, where one of the RuPaul's Queens was performing. And I sort of had a great time there because I went backstage and kind of spoke to her and uh, also the Indian Queens who were there and my drag mother. And she actually is the one who helped me launch myself as a drag king in mm. India. And it's just, I don't know, like the RuPaul queen I met, uh, her name is Alaska. And she basically saw my makeup stuff and she said, you know, there's very few people in the world who who are even strong enough or who even are interested to do things like this. And you must do things like this, like you must perform and you must, you know, see where this takes you. So initially I was actually quite nervous about the whole thing but um I don't know like as I do it it becomes more and more fun and I'm I'm not the best at it just yet but <laughs> I'm sure I'll I will be <laughs> as I'm doing it more and more.
0: Well I'm curious how it feels for you like on on stage or performing what what is what does it feel like for you?
1: It feels like I mean, it's for me, it's also a way of like just expressing my masculinity and celebrating it. Mm. You know, usually like in a place like India when I'm feeling more masculine, there is a, I would say, you know, a little bit of, uh, I'm I'm conscious about it. I'm conscious about it. I am scared to be judged. I am, you know, like sometimes even the feeling of shame comes about even though, uh, I'm wearing my rainbow on me mm. every day to feel the pride of, you know, being a queer person. But what uh, I have been conditioned to as, you know, as being part of the Indian society doesn't leave you so easily. Mm. So it can feel quite overwhelming on days where I'm not, when I'm feeling masculine, I'm not, you know, looking at it in a positive way. But, um... I think drag gives me the space for that. It just, when I'm on stage, I just feel like, you know, like nothing matters. Just, just express myself and be myself. And it feels
0: great. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um. My last question, and I asked this of all people that are on the podcast is what, what advice would you give your younger self?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, You know, Mm. I don't really think about giving advice to my younger self. In fact, it's the other way around where I seek advice from my younger self in the present and for the future. Mm. So what I in fact do is like I've been writing or like I've just kept a journal for the last uh, few years. And I think since I was around 12 years old, uh, I started writing to myself and uh, in second person in order to sort of have a dialogue with my own self about what's going on in my life when I didn't have, uh, or when I felt like I didn't have people to talk to or turn to about the things that I was going through. And that kind of, like the way I write to myself is also from a place of my younger self. Like I would say to myself, you know, hey, like, hey Durga, like, you know, uh, eighteen year old Durga would be really proud of you right now because eighteen year old in eighteen year old Durga didn't think that twenty five year old Durga would be doing all of these things and mm. standing up for themselves and stuff like that so I think it's just like I seek words of reassurance in the present from myself and it feeling like it's coming from my past self actually makes me believe me a little bit more.
0: Mm. <laughs> Yeah
1: and that kind of pushes me to you know move forward.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I think like I think that's just such a unique way of looking at it. I think like uh, looking back also when we when we learn the things we learn as we grow up, like it's hard to find not even forgiveness, but, like, a place in our heart for, like, how how much we didn't know and how much we hadn't experienced yet. So I love the idea of, like, actually going back and learning from that self and not saying, hey, like, just because I grew up, I, like, know better than you or something, you know, like, our our younger, innocent, like, uh, selves, knew things that that we may have lost along the way.
1: Yeah, like, I felt like uh, when I was a child, I had more faith in myself. And now... Uh, it can be really hard to have that same degree of faith in myself from time to time, you know? Yeah. And it's like everyone around kind of, not, not my immediate people, but like the world usually trying to say that, you know, there's no room for people like me in the world. Yeah. But in fact, you know, it's just my own past self that kind of gives me that reassurance of self-worth and gives me my self-esteem. Right. Back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just to wrap up, can you give our listeners a place of where to follow you, like on social media or or anything else and follow along with your projects and and performances?
1: Yeah, so uh, the best way to find me is on Instagram and Facebook. And my Instagram handle is Durga Gaude Studio, which is D-U-R-G-A-G-A-W-D-E. S T U D I O, Durga gaude Studio. Um, and you can look me up with the same uh, on Facebook and you'll find me there as well.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Durga. I appreciate it so much.
1: Thank you, Priya.
0: Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Queering Daisy. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes to help us spread the word and make sure you get the latest episodes right to your phone every Wednesday. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or know someone who should be featured on Queering Daisy, please drop us an email. Thanks again for listening.